0: My guest today is Jesus R. Jesus is a pioneering media entrepreneur with experience in production, advertising, and design. When Jesus was only 22, he almost died after 22 gunshots in the front steps of his house. He was lucky enough to wake up. He decided then he was going to live a different life. He taught himself how to use a camera and started making movies. He's won numerous awards and been honored by two presidents. Now an up-and-coming film director... He teaches at-risk kids how to use a camera to help them change their lives, too. Thank you for being here, Jesus.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: So we have a lot to go over in this 55 minutes because you've done a lot of living. Ah. I have to ask you, though, how old are you? 40. 40? Wow. I'm 44. You look a lot younger than 40.
1: You look a lot younger than 44.
0: Thank you. I like you already. So... I feel like um, I've often said that sometimes people have a pivotal event in their lives where there's everything that came before and everything that came after. And I'm going to be presumptuous and assume that for you, it was that day on your front steps.
1: Um, it wasn't.
0: It wasn't. Well, <laughs> what on earth could top that?
1: Well, I, I think it's, it's a culmination of other things. You know, that was definitely um, the start of change. But it wasn't the absolute change the way I grew up. I was um, already conditioned to expect things like that. So it wasn't the first time I was shot at or been in a shootout or shot at other people. It was just part of life.
0: So that was an ordinary day?
1: It wasn't an ordinary day. It's still, you know, um, it's still something that's extraordinary. But unfortunately, it happens a lot more often in certain neighborhoods yeah
0: so. so what was it like for you when you were growing up? Can you explain that more how that was sort of not out of the norm for you?
1: um well, I grew up um uh, single- single parent household. I left when I was young when I was like fourteen when on my own um I was just influenced by the wrong things. just got caught up in the wrong lifestyle, which I think why I'm so adamant today about the content and media and messages and why I started the SICK Film School. SICK standing for social impact content. So it's not just being a director and um, putting my own voice to try to change society, but also nurturing other voices.
0: So for people that are listening that don't understand that lifestyle because they haven't experienced it or had exposure to it, what was it like?
1: Well, I think everybody understands it um, because everybody sees it but we're just desensitized to it. And it's actually glorified now, right? It's cool to be a gangster. Yeah. So um, that's the biggest challenge and curbing a lot of these social issues is changing the mindset. Um, It's the same issues I had um, in dealing with gun control. You know, uh, I was working with uh, the Brady campaign and a lot of big organizations and um, there's such a stalemate in, in Washington between NRA, Brady, whoever, and it's and it's all political. And I think people get so caught up on uh arguing over the the supply of the guns and they neglect to focus on the demand. You mm. know, same same thing with alcohol and prohibition. Like if there's if there's a public demand for something, people will start bootlegging. They'll like yeah. they'll find a way to create the, the product. And I think with guns we, we need to understand the psychology of why young kids in the streets need that to feel empowered or it has to be a part of their everyday process, uh, which is not good.
0: That's an interesting point. You're, you're right about the demand. If people didn't want it, then nobody would, would have to worry about how to get it, how to sell it, how to find it. So what would you say then if this event – I feel like that would have been my big event, but maybe I live a more boring life – um, but when that happened to you on your front steps, what would you say, when did your evolution really start to try to get yourself out of that type of lifestyle where that sort of thing is normal?
1: Well, it, it, it didn't take long after that. It it was, it wasn't what happened to me. It was how I, um, uh, acknowledged the pain that my family was going through of almost losing me. Um, and then that summer, because that happened in May. And then that summer, uh, a few other people that I knew, uh, whether they were friends or foe, um, were getting killed. And the more murders that um, I seen or was, or was aware of that I knew, you know, was happening before, you know, we always lost friends growing up. Um, it, it, I just had a different lens on it. Um, I started to feel more compassionate and started questioning oh uh, you know why because um, a lot of times it's senseless and there's no real reason behind having to take somebody's life it's either over some jealousy or petty beef or um, you know it, it involves drugs or money or, or other things um, but a lot of times it's not even that serious and it's it's not something that couldn't have been resolved in a fist fight or you know, by other means, but we, we live in such a, um, by definitive terms of, you know, people that they think they're tough, but they're actually living more in fear. Um, so when, when they're going to kill somebody, they're, they're, they're trying to avoid any fear that they had had of any retaliation or a continued beef, if you will. So, um, I don't know. I just, I saw a lot of people, getting killed and and my mindset started to change, and I started to question it and it's like, man, like we nobody cares if we continue to kill each other, like really nobody cares, and then we especially don't care' cause we're we're continuing to perpetuate this, and that's when I had the idea to do my first production, which was a, a TV show in public access called eye on it
0: and that was um well, you were twenty two when you when this event happened, right. Yeah. Would you say that that was a near-death experience?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so so yeah, can you okay. tell us, you know, how you experienced that? Do you what do you remember of it when it happened? Did you just become unconscious?
1: I didn't. Uh I was I was conscious until the um the point that they had to uh, put me under. Um because they um when they were operating on the other kid next to me who tried to kill me. Um,
0: so, so are you in the same room at this point?
1: Yes. And ER. literally yeah. you're okay. In the, in yeah. the ER. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. Right. Uh, b- beds across from each other. Um, uh, but you know, rest in peace to him. He passed. Um, so it was him and three other individuals. And you know, when I talk about that fear, you know, they, they, before they finished firing at me they the guys behind them started running away and they shot him in the back of the head by accident so
0: that's crazy that's such a crazy experience I but i get what you're saying normal for some people
1: well i don't think it's ever normal it's it's hard to normalize that but i just think if if you don't grow up in that environment it seems much more foreign or um you, you, it's hard to grasp, but if you do grow up in an environment, there, you know, there's. It, I always question, like, are we a product of our environment? Because there's so many people that they kind of grow up in in and around those situations, and then they become a victim of that. They either get killed or they go in jail, or you know, their their life is just. They never they they never make anything of themselves, and then there's other people who break out of that, and then you you know, vice versa, you have people who grow up with. Every luxury possible, and then they, they don't make anything of themselves. So it's um, it's 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 figuring out like who we become as people and what our external influences, and and then how do we overcome those, and or how do we use those to propel forward. So
0: I talk about that a lot. I I talk about the cycle of poverty and how a lot of people, um, and I grew up poor, so I. Maybe part of the reason I'm so interested in it is because I sometimes I wonder, well, why did I not continue that? And I grew up in a household with a sibling, and he did continue the cycle of poverty, and I didn't. And it's always been interesting to me, how did we grow up in the same exact household, have a lot of the same experiences, but still turn out so completely different? Um, and why does that happen to other people? Why do why are some people able to break out of that and others aren't? I don't really know the answer. If you have any insights on that, I'd love to hear it. Um but it sounds like that's something you've contemplated too. Yeah. that you're very aware of.
1: Well, I I think you know, your personal experience that just goes to show that there's, you know, how complex we are. So when we're dealing with these problems, there's no solution that's going to fix it for everyone, right? Because you can have the same person, the same people in a similar circumstances and somehow their mindsets are just different, even though they have the same set of influences and experience.
0: Do you have siblings? I do. And how are your siblings?
1: They're awesome. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Um, My sister is an accountant. Um, Actually, she worked not very closely with me, but um for a while I was when I was working with uh, Puffy, I was the executive producer and then I got her a job being the um doing the books for Sean John. Cool. So yeah.
0: Oh that's nice. So what would you say was there a time when when did you really start thinking that you wanted your life to be different? And would you say that there were what was the biggest influence for you?
1: Film. Um, when I was younger, I never considered it, you know, like I didn't have, um, I think it's about exposure to things and, and then, and then being able to see yourself doing something else. And when you're in the streets, you, you kind of don't see yourself doing much more than smoking, drinking, hanging out, you know, chasing after girls, whatever. It's like, you're just living day to day with no, no big kind of overarching goal in your life. Um, especially if you're not set on a path to go to college and you have like a career, um, or some kind of hope that can fuel that ambition. So in my circumstances, something, you know, negative happened to me and I turned it into a positive and I didn't have the intention of it. It kind of discovered it. So when I started this, this show for public access, um, I taught myself how to shoot and edit and all these things. And I, I kind of discovered a talent I didn't know I had because I, I took to it very quickly and, and kind of excelled and um, elevated in the industry in a very short period of time.
0: And where did you grow up?
1: In Poughkeepsie. Okay. Yeah.
0: So then you developed a love of film. So initially it started out watching films.
1: No. So, see, I was never... Into film. And I didn't grow up really? um, uh, exclusively in Poughkeepsie. I, my family's from South America, so I was back and forth a lot. And then, um, yeah, I I've, I've moved around a little bit. But but for the most part, I went to um, Poughkeepsie Middle School, Poughkeepsie High School. Um, and that's the neighborhood that I was shot. So there was a lot of gang violence up there, Poughkeepsie, Newburgh, um
0: so then tell me about how what what was it like when you picked up the camera how did you teach yourself to do that um and this was before i don't know was this was YouTube already around I mean now you can learn how to do anything you can do heart surgery on youtube
1: <laughs> yeah there was there was there was no youtube there was there was not there was there was no uh no it was it was completely like pick it up and figure it out no manual just You know, um, and it's funny because when you're um, figuring things out for yourself and you start to develop techniques and you don't realize that those um, techniques exist and there's actually, um, you know, a whole theory behind it or there's a name for it or somebody you know, so
0: you of. reinvented the wheel to some degree.
1: No, not at all. I just, you know, I I just feel like we're all born with infinite knowledge and going through our lives is is a process of, of discovering different parts of our brain. Um, so, you know, way back to whatever point in civilization where there's different parts of the world that are coming up with the same hat design or boat or wheel, or yeah. you know, like, and they weren't even connected. It's like, how do you explain that? Like, we, we all have the capability of reaching... Um, the same ideas you know, never anything is never reinvented. Like we all, we all have this knowledge. is, it's about discovering. It. So like one of the things that I did is just a very simple thing. It's like you, you, um, you dolly in or you push in with the camera and you zoom out at the same time. And it changes like the focal perspective of the background. And that's a whole thing in cinema. And I didn't know that as a young kid coming out the street, just playing around with a eight millimeter zoom camera, like, um,
0: so how old were you the first time you picked up the camera?
1: Uh, well, I was in my early 20s. Um, so you've been
0: doing it a while.
1: Yeah, I've been doing it for about 18 years since I was 22, uh, since that summer. Um, but before that, you know, maybe in, in in high school, played around with a camera here and there, but it wasn't like, um, I can't say I never touched a camera before.
0: So what was your first real, I don't want to say real film? I know you have Asian Mob. Mm -hmm. Was there something before that?
1: Um, There was a bunch of music videos and TV shows and commercials. And I was in advertising and had film studios and just a lot of different things going on. Um, But most of my career, I was focused on serving other people or serving other brands. So I was always... um, uh, doing something to you know creating something for someone else and, and in the last two years I decided I wanted to focus on what I was most talented at and most passionate about which was directing so although I had won some awards before I won a telly award for some tv shows that I directed that were like number one in their market and congressional awards and all that but I wasn't focused on that I was still producing running a business I was a creative director so, like you know we all in the in the Artist field, we all, you know, we, we get caught up with so many different projects and ideas, and it's hard to be disciplined about, yeah, one thing.
0: All your creative juices are flowing, yeah. So you so. kind of have to figure out where to direct them. That's right. So it's not like you you didn't just pick up the camera, like okay, I'm a film director now. You had other things that you were doing, like you just said, advertising, producing. How did you? Well, where did you start?
1: I think I think if I went the traditional route of going to film school, I could have been a film director like because you know you go to school they, they provide you all the equipment and the resources to make your thesis film and then studios are kind of headhunting at the you know big film schools and then you get your first gig where you can big budgets thrown at you and you know you have the resources like me coming out in the streets like nobody was going to give me equipment resources opportunity any of that so in the process of discovering that this is something I can do. I also had to fight to build a business and, you know, keep, keep afloat. Like um, I I had to build a name for myself um, and it's impossible to do that as a director. If you haven't gone to school and if you don't have money and if you don't have equipment. So I built a business and the business was about serving and building other brands and, you know, making other brands bigger. And I was so successful in building that business that I got a call from Puffy's company to go run his business. So,
0: that's crazy. Oh. So how did that happen? I mean, how did they come across you? So they sought you out.
1: Absolutely. I actually turned them down a couple times. Wow. Yeah. You know
0: you're big time when you can turn down Sean Combs.
1: Well, I, I just I, – I don't think it's about being big time. I think it's just about um, – because he's big time. I mean, he's got a yeah. $100 million empire. <laughs> he's so doing it's, all right. There's no, no clout on my part to turn him down. It's just that it wasn't the experience that I was looking for, and I don't do anything for money, and that's probably why – It took me this long in my career, my journey to get to, you know, finally directing, because although I was doing all these things um, to build up a company, it was never about the money. You know, the initial show was Eye on It, It was Eye on Inspirational Television creating content that uh, got some of these other kids out the street and focused on a different career path. And then when I found out I was good at creating, packaging, and producing content, um, I created like the first hip-hop cooking show that went on to be uh Chevrolet blaine company on um, Bravo. I, I think they were like number one in the first season in the, uh, on, the, on their, on that platform. I, I mean, there's like a million other projects, so I won't get onto that, but with, with puff, like I had a studio, I opened the first film studio in the Bronx and we were doing four music videos a weekend. And, you know, Travis Scott did one of his first videos there and I had so many different celebrities and artists. Like we were rocking, like there was no need for me to, step out and do anything else um so the the puff thing wasn't like oh you know turn them down it just wasn't my interest um but you know after some further consideration i was like you know it might be cool to uh go directly more into advertising
0: and are you that's is that what you're still doing now
1: no now i'm I'm just directing um when I, i left puff and and Started my agency, Creative Gods, and then I was um, doing branding for other, some other celebrities, some other luxury brands. I created a couple luxury brands throughout the years. A big fragrance that we launched in London and at Harrods and Suffrages. and it what was what was that? Uh of the Victorious. Uh, we won a couple awards, and then the follow-up fragrance was um, the official fragrance of the Royal Wedding. Not, wow. not not this recent one, the the one in like around two thousand eight.
0: So I would have no idea how to do that. So let's just say I'm sitting around one day. Hmm, I I want to make a fragrance that smells like cookies. Well, what what do I do then?
1: Well, you got to go to a perfumer. You got to get all your ingredients. You you know. You, but I I didn't make the the scent. I was a part of the process of uh, selecting and influencing it. But I I was um, in charge of creating the name, the brand. Yeah, the identity, you know, I was the marketing, I was the creative guy. So it was myself and a gentleman by the name of Michael Bodie. Um, he was the number two hairstylist in the world at the time, so that helped a lot, right? He's already yeah. had a, a platform and a lot of friends. Um, and we made a fragrance and it was well-received in the market. So,
0: so what does he really love about that creative process of branding and drawing attention to whatever it is that, your project you're working on?
1: I think it's part of my um, personal life journey, making something out of nothing, right? Like I'm a product, I'm a brand. Um, and I didn't realize that till recently, but the same way I would take something you know, out of the dirt and make it a diamond. It's like, oh, that's what I've been doing to myself, even though I've been focused on helping other people and looking outward. So now that I'm looking inward, I can take, all that experience and all those, you know, the, the, the sensibilities of all these different lives that I've impacted and poured into my work. So I'm really excited about um, the capabilities I have now as as a director, not only from the from the technical and, and, and the experience of doing a thousand productions, but um, just really honing my voice on what I want to tell and how I want that to come out uh, on film.
0: And is that different for every project or do you feel like there's a common theme with all the work that you do with the message that you're trying to get out there?
1: Uh, The sick is the common theme, social impact content. Um, we just had, they showed five of my films at the Newark international film festival this month. It was a sick screening. Um, shout out to Kenny from, uh, Newark. He's the founder of the festival. Um, yeah, the the, the the I would say ninety percent of my content deals with social impact. Even um, certain music videos that have been brought to me that maybe the music isn't the most inspiring. I find a way to flip it and 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 create a visual that told um, that had a different impact because I feel like you got to reach and meet people where they're at. So everything you do can't be too preachy on every level. You, sometimes you have to take something and then. Get a different spin because the people who already listen to that is, is the audience that you want to reach, not, not not the, um. Not the market where it's already safe or people who are already focused or ambitious. Like I want to reach, um, the people that were of my mindset before I changed my life.
0: And what what would you say your mindset was? Because I'm so interested in people that have, like I said earlier, have gone through this evolution where they have on their own change their mindset it's because i feel like there's somewhat of a script sometimes for life like we just like rich people or poor people and everybody in between they kind of they learn what life is from what they grew up with and they just sort of learn like that's normal um i was just talking to somebody yesterday that we both know denny mendez about Great, great guy yeah about how um you know somebody can grow up and think that spending $150 on dinner is – that's just normal. Like what's the big deal? But then you could have somebody else where they couldn't dream of spending that much on dinner because that's their entire grocery bill for the week. Sure. So I'm really interested in how people kind of allow themselves to be exposed to something else and be able to look at life differently than what the script is that's been presented to them.
1: Well, the thing about that it's 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 funny how um, how quickly someone will adjust or act brand new, right? They they could come from a, a life of having a hundred fifty for a week and then spending five hundred dollars a night on dinner, and like you know, they're that that's that's a worse uh, combination, right? Because sometimes people they don't adjust well. Um,
0: to the increase?
1: To the increase. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, people become very ugly. I've seen it a million times. I've, I've helped more than half a dozen people become millionaires directly to help them um, it, uh, change their lives. And, yeah, m- money, is a, money is a funny thing.
0: It is. Um, do you think that is because it's what you learn about money when you're growing up? Because Denny and I were t- actually talking about this very thing yesterday.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. I, it's. I, I think I've done well to keep it at a distance. The the influence of it, the, the desire for it. Um, you know, my only desire for it now is just to fuel bigger projects. Um, uh, you know, we all like to live comfortably, but we have different means of or different ideals of comfort. You yeah, know, my comfort is like one crib, one car, like yeah, eat what, what and where I want, you know, not but I'm I'm not uh into material of things beyond that, you know.
0: Yeah. Um Denny and I were saying that um he represents some athletes and, you know, people that have done well for themselves that did grow up very poor and a lot of times they'll just blow through the money and then they're left with nothing later. Um, that's an interesting phenomenon. It doesn't sound like you're a victim of yeah. that or that you will be. Um, but it's just interesting how that evolves. And sometimes it's like keeping up with the Joneses, right? It's like, yeah. but the Joneses change yeah. over time.
1: Yeah, well, that, that, that goes back to, and, you know, what's worse than blowing through the money is blowing through relationships, right? It's how you p- treat people around you. But in terms of keeping up with the Joneses, it goes back to, you know, the idea of being a product of our environment. Um, the thing that I realized was, you know, I'm not limited by being a product of my my environment because everything I've been through makes me who I am. It gives me the strength, the perseverance, and um, just like the willpower to overcome any obstacle. But at the same time, nobody said that I couldn't change my environment and that doesn't have to be geographical. It could just be the influence of people around you. Like your environment is who you associate with. And, and, you know, as, as soon as you have some means to, maybe get out and be around a different social class, uh, those people are going to have, the, the 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 percentages are going to change of the mindset of the people in those social class. So as you go up, the expectations of you start to change. And whether you're changing for good or worse, um, however you're adapting, yes, the, those expectations start to become different. So when $500 a, a dinner was like, once you're in that ballpark, now you you're getting closer to people who are spending a thousand or whatever you know whatever they're having multiple houses or multiple cars so uh, yeah
0: there's it's um comparison syndrome right like yeah. i'm doing better than a lot of people but you know there's a lot of other people that are doing better than i am and yeah. y- y- it's sort of a trap to fall into to start comparing yourself
1: yeah and the, and the the worst thing about human nature is that it that we're aspirational so we always compare up right we never compare yeah. ourselves to people who are sick or have less than us cuz We don't want that, but whatever we do want, we compare and then we create more anxiety for our our depression or or lack of happiness for ourselves because we're so um, stuck on what somebody else has. What we don't have.
0: And that brings me to something that I have been spending a lot of time thinking about recently is gratitude. It's hard to have gratitude for what you have if you're not, like you said, looking at well, I I do have a lot, and there are other people that have far less. Instead of focusing on you know those other people that have a lot more,
1: yeah, um, that that's a great point. Uh, the the next film that I'm doing is called Suicide Saint, and there's two major characters from different, completely different walks of life, and one of them, um, although he's had the worst of everything, he deals with everything from a perspective of gratitude, and then the other character. He's had the best of everything, but as he's going through these issues later in life, he deals with everything from uh, the perspective of entitlement. So that's something that I always, you know, um, wanted to dissect or um, create more awareness around because you would think that the person who had everything would be more, show more gratitude or, um, you know, or the person who didn't have it would be a little more, Better, which in some cases they are, but um, I often see, in my lifetime, in my personal one-to-one experience, not just off of marketing research or what the numbers say, but in my personal experience, the people with less money are always more generous. Like, growing up, if, if my, me and my boy Kazawaza was one of my best friends, like, we would meet up, if I had $10 in my pocket, he, I, we would literally, like, how much you got? How much I got? And we just split what we had. We're like, all right, you got five, I got five. Like, or if, you know, if we go to eat and I didn't have money, like, we're always look out for each other. And and when I started to climb the the success ladder, and then now all my friends are millionaires and billionaires. Man, these are some cheap mother. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, well, on your show, we'll
0: have to edit <laughs> that out.
1: <laughs> but like, you know, it's a, it's you know, it's, I I I'm not friends with. Everyone I meet with money because some people are just so heartless and soulless. And it's like, wow, I understand why society has so many problems now, because the the people who have and have the power want to do less. And then the people who don't have anything are the ones who are dying to do more. And I have this conversation with a friend of mine uh, who's from the U.N. I was an ambassador for the U.N. I represented the U.S. to 34 countries in the Western Hemisphere. And we created toolkits and how do you utilize arts for violence prevention. But you know they give all this money to different um, governments and state agencies and whatever, and it's like okay, a lot of times they're giving this money to uh, people who are employed, and the money doesn't go in the right places or it's spent through. But uh, that's more often it's a lot of these nonprofits, like a nonprofit like the Jordan Porco Foundation in Connecticut, that they have a fresh check day in over 200 colleges across the country. But it's these nonprofits that are started by individuals who are doing. um a certain cause because of the passion for it right not because yeah. of the money or the job or anything else like this woman lost her son to suicide so it's like it's like that passionate that commitment when people not that she has nothing or comes from humble beginnings but it's a lot of times when people have less they want to do more and and too often those are the organizations that are aren't funded as much right you have other businesses that like money's being poured into and then like the people who are trying to make a difference it's not popular. It's not cool, right? Go back. It goes back yeah. to the, the gangsters. Cool. The
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's cool in the movies, right? But I mean, some of the people admiring that lifestyle, I, I don't. They would cry like a baby <laughs> if yeah. they were sort of plopped in the middle of it. Um, and I, I get what you're saying. I, I have experienced that. I think sometimes when somebody grew up without money and they really understand what that struggle is and they understand how that feels to be poor, to not feel like you have those opportunities that seem to be so readily available to someone else, it, it really is a struggle. Um, and really, it's it, I, I think a lot of people like you who have experienced that struggle and have overcome that, you don't even give yourself enough credit, really, for having done that. Because it does require so much. You could so easily have just continued, you know, I, I say live the script. Yeah. Like maybe some of your peers did. Mm-hmm. Um, so really to your credit that you overcame that. Um, it sounds like you did it largely on your own.
1: Well, I, I'm I'm changing the script. See, it says history will be kind to me for I intend to write it.
0: Oh, so, so he's showing us his tattoo. We'll have to take a picture mm-hmm. of that. But that's, I that, love that.
1: That's uh, Churchill.
0: I love that. Um, but but I totally get what you're saying. I do find sometimes it's the people that have less that are actually more generous. I, and I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like it's because they, they understand what that feels like when they see someone else who's suffering. They really understand what that feels like. Sure. Um, I think sometimes there's a tendency. And I don't want to generalize because it's not everybody. But I do think sometimes there's a tendency to just say um, the people who are the haves and we're always the haves – Um, I think don't always appreciate what that struggle is. Um, And a lot of times they attribute that to just desire. Well, you could go and, you know, be whatever. You could go and, you know, do all the things I do. You just don't want to, or you're just not working hard enough. And sometimes it's really not about that. We're not all starting out in the same place. You know, we don't have, sometimes we don't have those influences around us saying, you can do it.
1: Yeah. And I I agree. It's it's not... You know, universal, you know, there's, there's a lot of wealthy people that do have very compassionate, they give all their money away and don't even give it to their own kids. Right. Um, and then you have people who come from nothing who they have a crabs in a barrel mentality, you know, they're, they're jealous or they're hating on their yeah. peers and they don't want to escape that. So
0: sure.
1: um, I have just been fortunate to have, uh, um, and maybe it's what I attract, right. As, as individuals, everything is about energy. So it's, it's the people that I attract and who become my friends or who are part of my, circle um i will say that um either way um i think what it really boils down to is uh people only care about things that affect them and it's hard to get somebody to care about something that doesn't affect them
0: yeah it's like that saying not in my backyard nimby yeah,
1: yeah. it's it's i mean for for gun violence like I wouldn't be as passionate about gun violence if I didn't get shot. If somebody, you know, like this woman if she didn't lose her son, you know, maybe she would still be a social worker or whatever else she was doing. Like when something impacts us, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how we absorb comments, but when something, you know, when something impacts us, we it becomes a part of our our lives and then we care for that. Um and I, and I think that there's just there's such a disconnect between the problems in society and then the people who have power to change those problems. That's why for me, film is so important because when I'm teaching these other young kids in this film school, how to become directors and how to nurture their own voice, they're going to have more power or, or, or more influence or, or more insight in how to change those issues because they're living it. Right. So they're going to become the leading, leading advocates and with the power cinema, they can create a vehicle that, can be viewed by millions of people, or and film is the most influential thing in, in society, right? Everything is about narrative, whether it's yeah. the narrative from the president's Twitter or you know some YouTube sensation or Instagram influencer. Like, they everyone's driving a narrative, a story, uh, a perspective.
0: And you may be even unwittingly giving hope to some kid that you're teaching him how to hold a camera. That his life could be different, that he doesn't have to, you know, go down a certain path, that you know, just being aware sometimes of that, I think, can make a huge difference in a kid's life. Um, I think teachers are so important, whether it's actually in the classroom or something outside the classroom, like with what you're doing, because it does give them hope that, you know, they're good enough, they're smart enough, that they can have these other interests, that they can do these other things Tell us more about how you started the film school.
1: So the film school is like version 2.0 of a nonprofit that I started uh, about 14 years ago, 2005. So after I did it in 2003, um, which was a really cool independent show um, that I independently syndicated on public access that's never been done before. That's a whole other story.
0: We're going to get to that. I didn't even ask you about that yet.
1: But um, in 2005, after the success of that show, I wanted to find a way of um, a means of more directly giving back instead of a show that was just influential and inspiring. So I started an organization called Guns for Cameras. It was a 501c3. Uh, We were taking – the idea was to take guns off the streets and give kids video cameras and then just show that that direct change where they can still – point aim and shoot something but something created life instead of destroyed life um i had a lot of challenges this was before the era of mass shootings and um a different sense of, of public sympathy uh, you know the, the the conversation then was more about crime in the streets so again the people in power didn't care about this there's some people who even have the perspective of hey let them kill each other right that's just as raw and real as it was so i didn't get a lot of support from the government local agencies like even the da in poughkeepsie i wish i knew his name so i could put him on blast but at the time um had a, a like a local detective who was willing to champion the program and he kind of said hey don't have nothing to do with that jesus is trying to start a gang with this it's like what <laughs> like,
0: that's so crazy
1: like i, I can't tell you how, how absurd
0: um, well sometimes people just believe what they want to believe right
1: or, or just make stuff up to block progress right from ignorance but anyway um so that was guns for cameras uh, i had a lot of issues in being able to um, execute the idea of that but but it, it lived on and and the idea of aim to live and we we created some commercials and content and I spoke around the country and I did a promotional tour with Fairmont she was big hip-hop artists. Um, we spoke at Harvard, NYU, UCLA, um, from from students to professors, because now we were talking about uh, how we're using media to change society. So I um, had a much, uh, I'm sorry, had a lot of um, success since then. And this summer, I wanted to find a way to re-engage a lot of the philanthropic work that I was doing. And I approached Erica Ford, who who runs Life Camp in Queens, and she's a le- leading advocate of gun violence prevention for the last three decades, and they have their mobile trauma, trauma units that j- they just got this summer. Um, and actually, when I was at the White House, Erica was there as well. We've, we've known each other for a few years. I said, hey, I want to give back this summer, and I want to do a free film school for the kids. You got some kids affected by gun violence. I'd love to work with them. And we I wrote a six-week curriculum, and it was – so inspiring and such a great success that I um, said, you know what, I don't want to just limit this to the summer. And then I transitioned it from the summer school to the sick film school that would be year-round. And every quarter we would partner with a different nonprofit who was tackling a different issue in society. So in the fall we're going to work with kids affected by incarceration. Um, our age group is 14 to 19, so there's some kids who might have been directly Arrested or locked up at the older age of that uh, spectrum, but but there might be younger kids who just lived with um, having their parents incarcerated or never seeing their father or mother or whatever. Um, and the idea is to really go into you know their hearts and their minds and see how it, it plagues them, and then teach them how to have a voice and empower them through film, and then make a, a short film at the end of that. That semester or cycle, um, they can speak to what their 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 ideals are, and then we put that out so people become more aware of the of the issue.
0: I love that. That can be so incredibly influential and create a pivotal moment in those kids' lives.
1: Absolutely, it 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 changed my whole life and put me on this path. So if I could create more, I guess I will create this film gang. (laughs) i love that
0: the film gang i like
1: it You know, but gang for good change, you know trying to change the world um you know the tagline for the sick film school is healing humanity one voice at a time and the reason i wanted it to be sick not only that you know social impact content but i feel like we live in a sick society and sometimes you have to go to the root of the problem and have that show up in the solution so it's just kind of a a play on the word um and then sick is also cool for mm-hmm. our slang you know yeah. some sick that's you know it's a sick film school
0: to... mm-hmm. yeah i get it <laughs> <laughs> you're cool you're i'm it. cool i know the slang i might not look like <laughs> i do but <laughs> mike's over here laughing at me so tell us more about the project you're working on right now it's in production are you filming now
1: i'm in um no i'm not filming yet we'll be filming next year Hopefully in May. I'm in pre-production. Um,
0: so what's involved in pre-production?
1: Pre-production, raising money. Okay. So we haven't completed funding, so any listeners that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyone
0: who's interested.
1: We're ra- so we're raising $2 million for for... Um, actually, I should, probably shouldn't put that out there because I have a couple investors who are trying to um, wrap me up right now. Uh, uh, because I, the thing is, I'm, I'm building a slate. And the and and the, in the in this, this slate is going to um, create more um, interest in a series of projects. Uh, a lot of people aren't interested in Suicide Saint. It's it's not about a big star. It's it's not about a, a big story. It's it's something that I'm hoping to create to change society. Um, mental health is is such a terrible problem that we're that we're not really focusing and addressing on i mean there's a lot of organizations that are doing work and but like as a whole right now in in society you know we talk about comparing but before it was just oh comparing social classes what you personally have but now through the vanity of social media every single individual is comparing everything about their personal life to other people and we're at the highest um level of depression and anxiety in society. In the, in the last two decades, suicide has risen 33%. It's not it's, it's yeah. not slowing down. It's like it's getting dramatically worse. I mean, even with all these mass shootings, like every everything that I've ever done to address a different cause, like I realize now that mental health is the root of all of them. So if I, were, if I did videos about gun violence, if I did videos about domestic violence, Abusive, like whatever the cause was i you know um it's it's all a derivative of our, our, our minds and and there's people dude are doing great work as um, a friend of mine julian uh director x he he has a program he's doing in in toronto called operation prefrontal cortex to get more meditation going mm. in, in in schools um
0: do you meditate
1: i i do uh i think when I'm creating, I'm meditating. Um, you know, um, a, a anytime that you still your mind and you're focused on something, it's a level of meditation. Um, so, w- whenever I'm creating concepts for a brand, a visual, or even even thinking about the storyline and these characters, for me, that's meditation. Right? It's shutting out all the outside noise and then going into your into your mind and and, and digging deep.
0: Well, there's there have been studies that actually does change your brain chemistry. Oh,
1: uh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, frequencies that we listen to, you know, I, I, when I'm riding my truck, I only play classical music.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: You know, no no diss to to, the, to the, rock <laughs> the rock station or or rap or you know any of these other genres that I'm a part of. But um, you know, they've done plenty studies to show that if they if they in a, in a in a controlled environment, they had two different plants, and they played this music and that music. You know, one the nutrients or the the, the 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 bloom of the flower is completely different from the other. It's the same thing when they when they uh, snowflakes, right? When when you speak um, words into water, hateful words, loving words, the water crystallizes with a beautiful pattern, or it's just chaos and BS. And you know, our our body, our bodies are how whatever percentage of water. So when we're speaking words to other people, we're, we're changing the molecular structure of our body and our energy. So when you're listening to stuff all day that maybe doesn't have the best message, um, and, and you start to become on edge and you get on the road and you're in road rage and people yelling or cursing at you or like, we just, you know, we live in such a savage, emotionally savage environment, right? Um, that it's impacting the way that we think and we move and we interact and, that has the ultimate impact on the decisions we make.
0: Yeah. It's I think a lot of it too is even the the negative self-talk. That's sure. what we are telling ourselves, right? Like, you know, I mean, I can speak for g- young girls and women always so body focused and you said used an interesting expression earlier, the vanity of social media, and that's such an accurate expression because yeah. it a lot of it it does seem like vanity and Everybody's got a great photo with a filter, and you know that, it doesn't even look like them really. If you yeah. saw them in person, it doesn't even look like them. And,
1: and, and it's it's so absurd. Somebody might go to a party and be completely bored, and they'll find that one moment where, like, oh, let me take a picture in front of the the bottle table. It's not even my bottles or my, my money. And the next person's looking at that, comparing themselves. So there's such a overwhelming. Um, environment of falsehoods yeah. that people are buying into
0: i saw a girl i was on vacation recently saw this girl on the beach she she spent at least 15 minutes trying to get a really good selfie she was throwing her hair around and like you know doing the pose then i saw she took the selfie i saw her like a few minutes later she was sitting on her chair, had her hair up in a bun with a baseball cap on, and I'm thinking, so those people just saw that glamorous photo that and, you just did, and they think that's what you're doing on the beach right now. But really, you know, you're you look like the rest of us. You got your hair in a bun, and, and you know,
1: and and people, it's 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 bad for everybody, right? It's bad for the people who are on the outside looking and comparing themselves to this, and it's bad for that person robbing themselves of the experience. You know, spend the first ten minutes taking a picture of their food, and it's getting cold, and not even enjoying it. Like,
0: I think I might be one of them. <laughs> you, got, you got a food blog? I'm a on, foodie. Whatever. I'm a foodie, so I'm like, oh, you got look at this, look at this fried chicken. We got to get a picture of that. But yeah, I mean, I think we're all guilty of it to some degree. Well, we're we're
1: it's our norm. We're conditioned yeah. by it, right? Like that's it's like once and and, and there's different. uh properties of it that's addictive to certain parts of our brain that engages in that way right so whatever chemical reaction happens we we can't get enough of that that yeah that um that validation from other people it's how many true. Legs, you know so um yeah so
0: do you um do you follow Gary Vaynerchuk? Yeah I love him. I like recently became obsessed with him, and he wants the likes to go away. He just thinks he sh- there shouldn't be any such thing as likes because then you're going to, you're obsessed with looking at, well, how many likes did I get? Yeah. Now, that video must have been better, or that subject must have been better because I got a lot of likes on that one, but I didn't get a lot of likes on the other thing. And I kind of think he's right.
1: I, I absolutely uh, love that. And it's funny because I was on the, um, video conference the other week with a senior person at uh google uh and youtube um they've been terrific they've been a big supporter of the film school and they had all our kids come down to the youtube space in new york and um it, it's funny because i'm on i'm on the call with him and some of his other people and i'm like well know i'm not i'm not into this whole uh i'm kind of like anti-influencer now and i know they do everything
0: to is that like a disruptor
1: well, they do everything to support and build their their creators who are already have millions of views because you know that's where they're making all their money as a business model. So they want, of course, they want to support and push that. But I feel like there's so many people that whatever path they took to get a million, two million what subscribers, followers, likes, um, and it could just be like girls showing extra little skin or somebody doing skits or, but a lot of times there's there's people who are getting celebrity or whatever notoriety as influencers now that their content is crap or their talent is crap. And our social, you know, my friend made a shirt, XV made a shirt that said mediocrity is the new black, right? So our our expectations of art and culture have diminished so much. And then you have all these amazing artists who don't want to sell themselves or, you know, like they they have – Little to no following, or not even on social media. So our our overall view, our, our our average view of what society and culture is 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 deteriorating because we've been sucked into this to these click funnels and this yes. social media. The, this the like, bait
0: click is that what it's called? Click bait. I forget what it's called, but I totally, I, I'm with you on that. I totally agree. But it's hard, even as we're mindful of it and conscious of it it's kind of hard to remove yourself from it totally because that's the world that we live in now. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, I have to have a page that everybody can follow me at Jesus R H E Z U E S R. That's on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's all the same or Jesus R.com. Um But it's, it's, it, you know, it's a necessary devil, but you don't have to use it the same way that everybody's using it wrong. Right. Cause there's a lot of good that comes out of, Social media, there's a lot of accountability and there's a lot of power that comes from the perspective being democratized by the people like, you know, the Me Too movement, whatever different things are happening socially are because we can share and be connected. So although our personal vanity is causing a problem in our depression and anxiety, when we do things collectively and we voice our opinion on something to try to create change, it's a powerful tool. But maybe Gary Vee's right. Maybe it's just like getting rid of the likes, getting rid of some of those other aspects of it. Let's
0: start a movement. (laughs)
1: Let's go
0: so we ran out of time thank you so much i think you're such an interesting guy and i love your perspective on the world i'm going thank to be you. watching you see thank what you. else you come up with
1: don't don't watch me watch my movies
0: okay i'll watch your movies <laughs> but i'll watch the other stuff too um and if you guys want to check out jesus more he does have a different spelling of his name h-e-z-u-e-s-r and just google him he's all over the internet and check him out on instagram i think that you're we're definitely going to be seeing more of you thank you thank you very much and thank you for listening to wake up call with christina previtt see you next time